this Sunday we're beginning a new series um, called Are We There Yet? And uh, anybody heard kids ask that question before? Are we there yet? Yeah, it's just staple because you know what's going to happen. Um, and throughout the series, it's going to be a four-week series with one break in the middle as we have a guest speaker in a few weeks. Um, but we want to discuss the things that we typically think about in a road trip. Uh, you know, today we're going to talk about, you know, we got everybody, you know, who's going on this trip. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, where we're going. Where is it exactly that God is leading us? And we're going to talk about what are the things that stop, stop us. You know, when you're going on a road trip, you got, there's potty breaks and flat tires and all these things that slow you down. For guys like me, they just want to, you know, just hold on. We only got two more hours. You can hold it, right? Um, and uh, we're going to talk about that on week three. Um, and I do want to highlight that week actually just briefly. I do feel like week three um, is a sermon that God has been stirring in my heart for probably two years. Um, and I think it's, it might be one of the most significant things that, I've, um, that I feel like God needs to say to us that um, it's been a long time in coming. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, I don't normally like, highlight my own sermons. Hey, you got to make sure you're there on that one. Um, but I actually do truly believe uh, that God wants to move us and speak to us uh, with something that's been heavy on his heart. Um, and that's, so that's going to be week three, so make sure you're there for that one. Um, and then the fourth talk, uh, we'll talk about how do we get there? How do we know when we're there? And uh, so we're looking forward to the series. And the way it kind of works is we're going to start with like this macro picture, because I don't really think we can talk about vision and mission and what God is doing in Sun West without thinking about what God is doing, uh, what he has been doing throughout history. Sun West is just one little piece of a larger story that's been going on for a long time. And when we lose sight of that, we actually lose sight of what the mission and vision is, is for Sun West and his church. And, uh, and so I think it's valid that we need to take a couple of weeks, look at the big picture, look at history, and say, what has God been doing uh, throughout history? And what is our role in his plan uh, in what he's doing, in the, in the journey that he has his universal church on? And then the last couple, we'll get into micro stuff of what does this actually practically mean for SunWest in particular. So road trips. Who likes a good road trip? I love road trips. I, you know, some people just hate the idea of getting stuck in a van, but you know, to me, packing up the van, you know, with everything that you can think of. Last summer we went on a a 30-day road trip, and we had five bikes on the van. We had, like, the roof rack just jam-packed. We could barely get it closed. And we had guitars, like, sticking by my kids' heads. Uh, I remember we went to one church, and I bought this painting, and uh, we didn't have room. Lisa's like, how are you going to get this home? And I was like, it's hanging in our living room now. And I'm like, well, Joel can hold it. And we just kind of, <laughs> it's, it's like four feet high. We just kind of put it right there on his lap, and he's, like, lying underneath the painting for, like, 20 hours of the last few days of our trip. Poor guy. I love a good road trip. I, I mean, I've been leading, I led the Mexico trip for, for a number of years, and one of my favorite parts of the Mexico trip is just getting in the vans and the, the rush of filling up those vans and, and going somewhere and uh, sometimes getting to the right place, sometimes not, um, especially when I'm leading the convoy, it's, it's give or take uh, if we get there or not. 
But when we get in the Mexico vans, when we get in the van, you often do this check to make sure you got everybody. And as a youth pastor, uh, when I used to be the youth pastor and I'd get in the van, we get in the Mexico van, I'd, I'd usually say this line of, everybody here? Which is like the worst thing to ask. Because if you actually, if you actually think about the question, you know, we got everybody? It's like, well, everybody who's there says yes. Right? And then guys like me say, perfect, let's go. Uh, and then you get, you know, 10 minutes down the road and someone says, we actually are missing somebody. I was like, well, I asked if we had everybody. Well, we all said we were here. So uh, it's, it's not a very smart question. Very smart youth leaders, they actually do this number system where they count off the kids and they, they go through one, two, three, four, five, and six isn't there and they realize, oh, they're missing somebody. But that, that's not what I do. I just say, is everybody here? We say yes, and then we're on our way, and then we figure out that we don't have everybody. We've got to go back, pick somebody up, and we get on our way again. But it's a valid question. Do we have everybody here? And who is we? Who is everybody? And you might think this is a silly question, but I actually believe that this question uh, is at the core of how we understand God and his mission and what he's doing in the world. Who is we? Who's going on this journey with God? Who has God invited? And this sermon series is a, it is a series about our mission and our vision as a church. But like I said, unless we actually understand in the context of the big picture, we can't understand the little picture. And this morning I want to pick up one word in particular um, and another word maybe that I think has lost meaning over time. And it's been so misunderstood that it seldom gets used. And when it does get used, um, it doesn't really mean what it meant in the Bible. And when we ask the question, who's we and what, what's God doing? And is everybody here and is everybody going? Uh, this, these words are in the middle of that conversation. You know, this, this past summer, I, we did go on a road trip. Uh, we went on a few of them, but one of the road trips we went on was back to my hometown in Manitoba. And there's something fun about going back to your hometown and visiting those, those places. And I went to my younger brother's farm and we get to the farm and he's got this big trampoline there. You know, it's not like these new trampolines that everybody has in the cities, you know, where they got the padding all around and they got the fence uh, around the outside and there's no way in the world that kids will hurt themselves on. These are like the old school trampolines where you got like some springs missing, things sticking out and no padding, no nets. And, you know, if kids break their arms, then, you know, they won't do it next time. They learn better, right? And uh, my kids are just crazy on the trampoline now. They don't even think about what they're doing. At least when I was a kid, you learn the hard way. Um, and then I think in the end, you're much safer on a trampoline regardless. But that's just my, this is just my little soapbox here about trampolines. Uh, besides the point. So we get, to, get to my younger brother's farm. He's got the trampoline, this big trampoline. And it's an older trampoline. And my kids are there and I'm like, these old ones, they just, they just jump. You know, like in a way the new ones don't. Anybody, anybody with me here? Like the new ones, you jump on them and they're, they're stiff and they, you know, the old ones just have this flex to them, right? And they just launch you in a way that <laughs> the new ones can't. And so I get, 
this idea. I was like, my kids have never seen dad in his prime on the trampoline. And I, <laughs> I, I spent a lot of time on the trampoline as a young child. And I said, I'm going to get on this tramp and I'm going to bust some backflips. Yeah, not, not just one backflip, but backflips, plural. And I'm going to show my kids, my nephews, my wife, because she wasn't there when I was a teenager either, something they'd never seen before. <laughs> and so I get on the tramp and I start jumping and, and just like the old champs, I'm like, oh yeah, it feels great, just launching me in the air. And I go one backflip, land two backflips three bad flips, and I'm just, I'm killing it. My kids are like, my goodness, my dad is amazing. I come around for my fourth backflip and take a look on the screen. <laughs> yeah, I went right through the tramp. I landed right on my back, right on the ground. It just like, there was like no friction. It just kind of just went, whew. It didn't even break my fall at all. I landed right beside a sprinkler. I'm like glad I wasn't like three inches over. That would have been really, really bad. And I went from like hero to zero, like in no time. My kids are like, Dad, are you okay? You know, the thing with tramps is I'm, you know, when I was a teenager, I was a little bit lighter and I'm bigger than I used to be. Um, the trampoline's older than it used to be. And it just didn't hold me you know, quite the way I remembered it. It wasn't as epic as the moment I was trying to relive there. But I think what happens with words over time is anytime, especially when we look at in the Bible, when we're looking at something, a word from a different culture, uh, 2,000 years ago, and you look at words and words, they kind of have uh, this flex in meaning. Right? They meant this, but we translate it and we think it means this. And, uh, and they stretch in meaning over time. But I think there are times when the word gets stretched so far uh, that the, the word rips and it doesn't really mean what it used to mean. In fact, we think it means something quite different. Um, and just like you were to walk up to a trampoline with a rip in the middle and you say, what's the use of this? Um, and you have to try and figure it out all over again. I think there's certain words that have stretched so far that they've ripped that we actually don't understand what they mean anymore. They're not used for what they used to be used for. They don't mean what they used to mean. And the word that I want to pick up this morning is this word called election. And, uh, and if you're new to church, this is your first time visiting SunWest, and this word might not mean anything to you already, and that's awesome. I, that, my job is half done. Um... But maybe you have read your Bible and you've actually seen this word and you wonder what it means when God elects people, that God chooses people. And who is he choosing? And who is he not? Does that mean who is he not choosing? And before we kind of go down this path, we need to understand how we got to what the word kind of means today. And just a little brief history lesson. There's this Reformation in the early 16th century. And basically what was happening in the 16th century is the, the church, the institution of church, you know, married with society, and it became more than what Jesus had in mind when he invited people to follow him. You know, people would be able to gain treasure in heaven or lessen their punishment after death or gain access uh, into heaven 
through the church. And the church would dispense uh, these blessings as people you know, gave their tithes and their offerings and their, their money, and they would come and do relig- religious activities in the church, and you know, their obedience and their religious um, activity basically ensured that they were going to be blessed. And, and this Reformation happened in the early 16th century, uh, where some people looked at the Bible, and then they looked at what was happening in the church, and they said, these two worlds don't really line up. You know, it's kind of spearheaded by a guy named Martin Luther, and there was other uh, church leaders as well around that time and also after him that kind of forced the winds of change. And this is where we got these two church, you know, big church uh, separation between Protestants and Catholics uh, happened at this time. And some of the main ideas that the people that were trying to reform the church pushed at this time was, uh, was the idea that grace that we're saved by grace alone, through faith, and the only authority in the Christian life was the scriptures. So we're saved by faith, uh, we're sorry, we're saved by grace through faith, and the only authority in our life is the scriptures. I want you to say those things with me. Say grace alone. alone. Faith alone. Scripture alone. These are the ideas that kind of, main ideas that came out of the Reformation. There was other ones, but these were kind of the core things uh, that these people that were trying to reform the church were trying to get across. That we're saved by grace alone. That it's only through God that we're saved. That you can't do any work to get saved. In fact, this grace is activated simply by faith. And then they came into this complicated piece of, well, what does faith mean? Is faith a work or is it a grace? Because if we're saved through faith by grace, then that means we're saved by our own works. So faith can't be a work. You guys following what I'm saying? It can't be a work. So it must mean that faith comes from God alone and it's God's grace that gives us grace. You know, and so they kind of got into these complicated doctrines about that. And scripture come, and our authority comes from scripture alone. Sola scriptura was the Latin phrase they used. And which is basically a reaction to the idea of authority doesn't come from the church. Authority doesn't come from tradition. Authority doesn't come from community of people. Authority comes from the Bible itself. Now, before I continue, I, I got to say that these were changes that I believe were good in their, in their heart. Um, they were changes that needed to happen because of what was going on in the church, and I don't think the church at that time was what God dreamed of it. Uh, but I think we could say the same thing in many places still today. So I just want to po- focus on a couple of things out of this Reformation, and then we're going to jump into this word election. Uh, the emphasis in the Reformation was on salvation. What do they mean by salvation? That when you are saved, you will go to heaven. When you're saved, that means you're going to go to heaven when you die. Uh, you know, salvation is another word that you know, has this stretch of meaning. Um, you know, just quickly, salvation does refer to the afterlife, but it also refers throughout Scripture um, about liberation from bondage political bondage, religious bondage, economic bondage. It speaks about 
returning from exile. The people of God were always on a journey towards greater freedom and liberation. They were moving from exile. Whether it was from the Egyptians or the Babylonians. Uh, salvation referred through, throughout the psalm, salvation refers to deliverance from danger. It refers to healing of wounds, the very word itself in the, uh, in the Greek, uh, part of the idea is healing. It refers to transformation, becoming more like Jesus, displaying the fruits of salvation, like uh, the, the fruits of Jesus' character. It means from moving from death to life, and it wasn't just talking about physical death and physical life, but also spiritual death and spiritual life. So there was an effect of life um, for the person living today. It wasn't just about the afterlife. And it, was, it wasn't always individual, it was also corporate. But the Reformation had this idea at this time that salvation was about going to heaven when you die. By grace alone. Not through any work that you can do or any religious ob observance. Uh, through faith, which is given to you from God, because if it wasn't given to you from God, it would be a work, and that would kind of cancel out the first idea. The Bible is our only authority. So we're not accountable to any corporate group of people, um, but I can find the truth of God for myself. And what you'll see here after the Reformation is this focus that moves further and further away um, from corporate identification to individual understanding about how I relate to God, just me and God. And it moves away from works. So now my behavior and what I do is not actually nearly as important as the fact that God has saved me by grace. And so you can see if the pendulum swings too far, you know, people start to think that we don't have to do anything. Uh, it doesn't matter how we live because we're saved by grace. I'm not accountable to anybody because my authority is in the Bible um, and salvation is individualistic. And so I just got to worry about me and God. I'm not a, accountable to anybody else or any group of people. And then what happened over time is people go back and they read through their Bible and they see these words called chosen and election and they start to read all these ideas into scripture that weren't actually there to begin with. And I think many well-meaning, Jesus-loving people drank the Kool-Aid of the Reformation, so to speak. And Kool-Aid's partly good because it's got water. There's something healthy about it. But it's mostly sugar crystals, too. Uh, well, there's a lot of sugar crystals in it. And we, we, we had the steady diet of Reformation Kool-Aid. Uh, you know, and we got fat, so to speak, on this individual, narcissistic, dualistic, in terms of dualistic, I mean physical to spiritual, this life, the next life. And we just started drinking the stuff. We got so fat on the stuff, we wanted to jump on these words like election and salvation, and we ripped right through them because that's not what they were. You guys following me right now? We're doing okay. A couple of people. <laughs> I know it's heady stuff. Um... Let me, let me show you what I mean by this. The, there's, this there's this pastor, this writer, who uh, 
you know, I think represents this extreme well. And I'm going to read something he wrote and then something he said. Um, and if we embrace, he says, we embrace election because it's a powerful incentive in our evangelism. So evangelism is how we um, give the good news of God, the gospel of God to help other the people, to help unbelievers who are great sinners. It's a great advantage to help them not to spare. When you offer Christ freely to all unbelievers, suppose one says, I have sinned too terribly. God could never choose to save me. The most ultimate despair-destroying thing you can say is this. Do you re realize that God chose you before the foundation of the world whom he will save? And he did it based on absolutely nothing in you before you were born or had anything good or bad. God chose whether to save you or not to save you before the foundations of the world. I want to read that last line again. And, uh, and just think about how this thinking actually came from people authentically trying to embrace the idea of God's grace. Do you realize that God chose you before the foundation of the world? He elected you. He chose you. Selected you. Um, whom he will save. And he did it based on absolutely nothing in you because you can't work towards salvation. Uh, but before you were born or had done anything good or bad, he chose whether to save you or not to save you already at the time. And then taking this further, this a uh, little further, uh, this this pastor goes on to say it's right for God uh, because God is completely in control. Anything that's good that happens in our life is completely His grace. It's right for God to slaughter women and children anytime He pleases. God gives life and He takes life. Everybody who dies dies because God wills that they die. Everything He does is just and right and good, and God owes us nothing. This really bothers me. And is it possible that we can stretch a concept like grace so far that it isn't grace anymore? Is it possible that we can take something that is so loving and so beautiful and stretch it so far that it becomes ugly and evil? You know, this is a series about mission, about a journey that God is on and that he hasn't, uh, and that he's invited us on with him. And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, you know, I believe that God has a predisposition be before every human being that he's ever created, that he loves them to death, that he sent his son for them. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it that I do not look at any human being and think that for some reason that God, in his grace, chose to love some and not others. I mean, you, you, can, get, you can go in your Bible and I can show you passages that, where you can make a case because there are words and phrases um, that you can make a case for that type of thinking. Uh, but I'll get to the reason why I don't think that's true in a second. The call of God's mission for the world, for his church, needs to be rooted in the belief that God loves every human being, that every human being was created to be his image bearer. And if we miss that, we actually miss the good news of the entire Bible itself. So this word election, that God chooses, I want... I'm going to take you on a bit of a scripture journey. 
in a road trip through the Bible. And I just want to highlight a couple of things. And I'm going to start in Genesis 12. And I know we don't actually have scripture on the screen today, so if you've got a Bible, you can follow with me. Um, some of them, I think, are listed in your words to live by there, in your bulletin. So I'm going to read you some passages here where the concept of election comes from. And then we're going to uh, come back to the question of, so what now? What does that mean for us? The Lord said to Abraham, so this is God calling of Abraham, the very uh, beginning of his covenant with Israel, his people. After this, the, word, the Lord said to Abraham in a vision, do not be afraid, Abraham, I am your shield, your very great reward. Whoa, my Bible changed the pages. It was like verse one in the exact same spot as it was on the page before. That was crazy. Okay. Uh, the Lord had said to Abraham, Go from the country, your people, and your father's household, the land I will show you. This is Genesis 12, 1, 1 to 4. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. This is God's grace. grace. He's, he's pulling Abraham out. He's calling him. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And whoever curses you, I will curse. But whoever blesses you, I will bless uh, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Everybody say, all the people. All the people of the earth will be blessed because God called Abraham. All. Everybody say, all. Uh, Genesis 18, verse 18. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations, everybody say all nations. All nations on earth will be blessed through him. All nations on earth will be blessed through him. And then in verse 19, it goes on to say this. I, I know it's not in your words to live by there, but let me just read it for you. For I've chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. I want to highlight here a couple of things about election. That God elects and chooses people for mission, for a purpose, for the sake of the world, for the sake of every human being, for the sake of every nation. Secondly, God chooses people, and in that choosing, there's an element of responsibility. You can see that in Genesis 18, verse 19, that Abraham had a responsibility because God had chosen him. Abraham had certain behaviors and works that were expected of him because God in his grace called him out. I used to be a paper boy back in the day. It was a terrible job. And my, my garage uh, would fill up with Brandon's son newspapers, like boxes of 40 at a time. Um, and I wasn't very diligent at doing my job every day. <laughs> and so I had a garage full of sets of 40 Brandon Sun newspapers that would just kind of pile up in the inside of my garage and my dad would have to move them out of the way to go park the car. Meanwhile, there's people in my community that were wondering where in the world was this newspaper that they were longing to read, that they were paying for. Sometimes, because I also forgot to go collect money. Um, 
So it was partly a good deal for them. And he'd walk into my garage and he'd say, what in the world is going on with all these newspapers? And I could try and convince you that, you know, all these newspapers are here because I love newspapers and I just like to read them and I'll read one after another. And you say, well, I don't think that's really the point of the reason you got the newspapers. I don't think that's the point of being a paper boy. You get the newspapers so they can go out and do a job and give the newspapers away, right? This is the idea of mission, purpose, election that God chooses because he's actually got something he wants to give to the world. And when the church sits on it and says, you know, God's not doing anything. It's just about me and God. It's just about grace. You know, it's just, I, you know I, it doesn't matter how I live or what work I do or how I behave. We actually completely miss the point of God's grace in the first place that he wants to work through people for the sake of the world. The other thing you'll notice in these passages is that God calls us into community. That he doesn't call, he calls Abraham as an individual, but he says, I'm going to make you a nation who will bless other nations. And there's this radical idea of community. God, he doesn't call just individual peoples, he calls a people. It's not individualistic. Let's look at Isaiah 42. You can turn to Isaiah 42 with me. Isaiah 42, 6 and 7, it says this. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Say a light for the Gentiles. The Gentiles were everybody who, was, who weren't uh, part of Israel. Israel was the elected chosen people. And here we see that I've called you in righteousness, I've called you, I've elected you, and I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles. Why? To open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. That's why I've called you. And check out just a few chapters later, uh, Isaiah 49. This is beautiful. Uh, God says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. Stop there for a second. It is too small a thing, let me translate this, for you to just sit as Israel and be content between you and God that God called you and he's done something great in your life. That's too small a thing. There's more that I've called you to. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. It's global. God calls us for mission. He calls us, you know, into this, this purpose. He calls us and there's a sense of responsibility as we respond to his grace. God calls us into context of community. It's not individualistic. He desires for whole people groups, whole nations. The call is global. It's not even about you and me. It's not even about our families. It's not even about our community. It's not even about Calgary. It's not even about Canada. It's actually about the whole world. Matthew 5.13. Maybe you've heard this passage before. Uh, You are the salt of the earth. The salt of the what? The earth. 
You're the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salt again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. In verse 14, you are the light of the, the world. You know, Matthew, the gospel of Matthew is writing primarily to Jewish Christians. Matthew's reminding them, you know, God called you. He chose you to be the salt of the whole earth. He called you. He chose you to be a light for the whole world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Mission, responsibility, calling groups of people for the sake of the whole world. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says that God is reconciling the world to himself through Jesus. This Greek word world is, is the word cosmos, which is where we get the word cosmos from. The whole cosmos, God is calling back to himself through his people. John 3.16. If you know a Bible verse, you've probably heard this one. For God so loved the world, the cosmos, that he gave his only son, That whoever, and this word whoever, it's the, it's the Greek word pas, which is every, each, all. And it's in the nominative form, form. So it's saying every person, all people, each individual, he has called. That whoever believes, puts their faith, puts their trust in him, will have eternal life. And this word eternal life is this full life. Quantitative, qualitative, for now and forever. Jesus, John 1. Uh, I want to talk about Jesus here for a second. In John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was the Word. You know, the Reformation said, Scripture alone. But if we read Scripture and we're not pointed to Jesus alone, Scripture alone is useless. Jesus is the Word. Jesus, the Greek word there is logos. Jesus is the logic, the word, God's in flesh. God, God's idea in flesh. God's message in flesh. In the beginning was Jesus, the word. Jesus was with God and the word was God. And then in John, John 1.14 it says that Jesus actually come and made his home among us. He put flesh on what does that mean? It means that Jesus is what God has to say. You know, we get into all these, you know, what does it mean by, what do we mean by election? What do we mean by chosenness? What do we mean by salvation? And there's one thing that I'm sure of. And if I could break it down so simply, it's that Jesus is what God has to say. And, and as if to make this even clearer, if you go to the end of John 1, verse 34 there, It says that Jesus, uh, speaking of Jesus, says, uh, John the Baptist says, I have seen and testified that this is God's chosen one. That word chosen is elect, electos, the word that we get election or chosenness from. That Jesus is the chosen one. 
If you want to understand what election, what, ch what being chosen, what mission looks like, if we want to know what God has to say, we look at the life of Jesus. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There was never a time when God was not like Jesus. The church hasn't always known this, but now we do. And if you read the Gospels, and we don't have time to survey the Gospels this morning, but I encourage you this week to go through the Gospels and find a point where Jesus pushes away or rejects anybody. You won't find it. You know, some interesting conversations with religious leaders, but they weren't authentically looking for Jesus anyways. They were trying to trap him. If God is, looks like Jesus and Jesus shows us what it means to be called, we need to look at him to figure out what it means to be on mission, what our purpose is. And, as we, and this is what the series is about. We're going to unpack that, unpack that. But this morning, the really simple point, 1 Timothy 2, verse, verses 4, verse 4, says that God wants all people. Everybody say all people. All people to be saved. All people to find healing. All people to find liberation from bondage, from physical things, from economics, from, from political, from oppression, from poverty. He wants to restore relationship with him, all people to be saved, both today and forever, that God desires for all people, every person, man, woman, child, that he made in his image to come to a saving knowledge of who he is. Um, last night, we got back from our, uh, I was away in Phoenix this past week, we got back last night. You know, rough life. Um, and we pulled into Calgary, and because it was late, we didn't have food at home, we just decided to stop quick to get something to eat. And we get out of the van, you know, when we're getting out of the van, you know, in, this, in a busy place, you, you usually do this check of, you know, we got everybody. You know, we got all the kids with us. Anybody still stuck in the van? Um, and, but I didn't do that. And I went, uh, you know, to the restaurant. You know, Lisa was ahead of me, and I just assumed all the kids were with her. Um, and I'm walking behind her, and I see Lisa turn around, and she screams. Uh, and I look behind me, and my youngest son, Silas, five years old, got hit by a car. Um, the funny thing is, he, get, he's, he gets hit by... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> he gets hit by a car, and he sits up and he's like, I'm okay. <laughs> and then once he realized what happened, he was like scared, and he actually started to, to cry, but um, he was fine. I'm not sure about the lady who was driving the car. She was shaken up, but... Um, you got that moment in your stomach as a father where I turn around and just caught the last you know, millisecond of what happened. And your heart drops, and this is your kid. And, you know, I should have, you know, you go through all these things in your head. I was like, I can't, you know, I should have checked that we were all here. I should have made sure we had all the kids. You know, they, you know they're my kids. I love them, and I'm responsible for them. And you feel this, these emotions like, you know, I... I didn't take the responsibility I should have taken. 
you know, shoulda, coulda, wouldas. Um, but sometimes I have these moments in my life where you, you, you look at you know, your kids or you look at somebody and you feel this thing in your stomach that is so beyond words. And you know, it's like God just spoke to me saying, because I knew I, I was speaking this message today, that's how I look at everybody in the world. They're my kids. And he's saying, do we got everybody? And the answer is we don't. We don't. There's, there's so many people that don't know the Father's love. And the reason that he's put us here, the reason he's chosen us, if you've received grace, if you've experienced the love of God, you're just chosen and elected because that's part of the deal. And he's actually put you here to be a conduit of his love, of who he is, to be his hands, to be his feet. And as we move forward in this next season of Sun West, it has to start with the conviction that every single human being on the planet is passionately loved by God the Father. And it's his desire that all people would be in relationship with him. And that's why we're here. I'm going to invite the worship team up and they're going to lead us in the final song. In Jesus, we have this God who comes as flesh to bring this gospel, this good news of grace. And then he gives it to his church and says, you'll be my hands, will you be my feet, will you be my voice? Because I'm in love with the whole world. And as Jesus was being crucified on the cross, he, the people are, you know, killing him. God being killed on a cross. And in Jesus, we, in, God, in Jesus we see a God that prays for the forgiveness of his enemies. We see in Jesus a God that would rather die than kill any enemy there is no such thing as a human being that God is not called that he's not passionate about that is beyond his grace and I think there's a twofold um, close here you know there's some of you that are here this morning and uh, you know maybe you don't know if God has loves you if he's chosen you you know if he wants a relationship with you and you know, I hope you've seen this morning that that's just not true. That if you're a human being, if you breathe, uh, he's invited you to experience his love and his grace in a full life, uh, not only today, but forever. And if you have questions about that, uh, you know, I'd love to chat with you. I'd love to pray with you. You know, come and chat with me after service or anytime. And there's some of us that, you know, we have experienced the grace of God, but we've fallen into this, you know, individualistic Western world understanding of grace, um, of relationship with God, and we think it's just about us and Him. You know, and that's where it starts. It always starts there, but that's never where it ends. And maybe this morning is just a reminder for you as you look across the table at the person you're having coffee with, 
at the people in your family, at the people that you're working with, and you remind yourself that there's no person I set my eyes on that God doesn't have his eyes set on. And allow that just to transform the way you see the world. The people that you thought, you know, how could, what, what would God ever do with them? That's, God chose them. And he put you there, right there, for a reason. Next week, we're going to unpack this a little bit more. And so, you know, I invite you back as we continue to journey. And, you know, I, my hope is that God fills our imagination and our hearts with, with this grace and this love that is so much better than maybe, some, maybe anything you've ever dreamed of. That, that's what I get struck with as I dive into these things is that the love of God, the grace of God is so much bigger, wider, and better than I could ever imagine. It just fills me with hope. It fills me with excitement. It fills me with purpose. You know, as I think of my role as a pastor, I think of us as a church. You know, we're not here just to, you know, fill up our tires and... I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the tires. We're not just here for us. And that's where it always starts, but that's never where it ends. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your, your grace. We thank you for your love. Not only for individuals, but for our city, for our nation, for the nations. And Lord, not only people, but for the whole world itself. In Genesis 8, it says that the whole world, the whole of creation is longing for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. Wow. God, would you just fill us with your heart for this world, for people in our lives? Um, and God, we know that that only flows out of, you know, filling ourselves with understanding the love and the grace that you have for us. And so, Lord, I pray that anybody in this room right now that needs uh, that understanding, that needs that affirmation, that needs to know that you look at them and you don't turn from them, but you are towards them, that you pursue them, that you love them, that you have grace enough for them, and that you want to journey with them in a way that they couldn't have asked for or imagined. Lord, I pray that they would know that in this moment. Lord, I pray for those of us who receive that we wouldn't hoard it, we wouldn't be like a paper boy just filling up our garage with papers for no good reason, but we would realize, God, you've given us all these things, not just for ourselves, but to give away. We don't want to be hoarders. Lord, would you move through Sun West in this season to be a blessing to all people, all nations, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for coming. There's uh, prayer teams available. If there's anything in your life you'd like to have prayer for, there's prayer always available to your left. And if you'd like to chat with me, I'm available as well.